Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking Fantasy Corn League. We've got some updates on our plot. In the spotlight, we're going to look at a new bill to help prevent the spread of CWD. Egg History Minute, we're going to talk about Dolly the Sheep. And we'll wrap things up with Cool Beans That's Corny with some current events. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. Special guests, Doug Hintz. Hi. And Derek Potretz. Hey, guys. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Doug, when you do karaoke, is that how you start out? No. Hi? No, no just no. the hi? No, I get introduced by Dave. Oh, yeah? DJ Dave. DJ man. Dave. Just jump right in. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a stage name of any kind? Or? No, no stage name. Dougie Doug? No. <laughs> you, do you bring the funky bunch? Or no. They... <laughs> no, usually running solo. What's your go-to? Go-to song? Yeah. Uh, I'm on a boat. Lonely Island. But... You got my flippy floppies. Oh, I'm thinking of I'm on a pontoon. Oh, on a little pontoon. Yeah, that's no. a famous song. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on a pontoon, it's cool. Think of that. Yeah. I don't not, think T-Pain uh, makes an appearance yes. in that song. <laughs> but uh, but if he did. If he did. It would, that would be a cool song. It, hey, they're doing all sorts of mashups. My least favorite mashup that I've heard lately is, I think it's Trace Atkins, Luke Bryant, and... Uh, Mr. 305 himself. Oh my God! Pitbull. Sure. Is Pitbull in all of those? <laughs> so <laughs> any of his own genuine songs? I don't, I don't think Pitbull has anything original. I think it's all like featuring that dude. But, I don't ever need to hear another Pitbull song in my entire life. <laughs> well, Unreal. It's, it's called "Where the Country Girls At," nice. and it it really like he really takes you out of the song completely. It's like "Where the Country Girls At," Mr. 305 worldwide. <laughs> Like, oh, okay. I think we just lost a bunch of listeners right now. Yeah. All the Pitbull fans? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, all the people that don't want to hear about Pitbull. I honestly yeah. can oh. say I don't, like, Y100, the the local, con- like, yeah. current country station, I can't tell you the last time I've listened to Y100. Can't stand it. Because uh, so this this crap like that's on there. Well, this was, <laughs> this was on uh, uh, what, one of the XM channels. Like the you're, you're modern, right, though, it's modern like country. The Duke or... 98.5, whatever that is. I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of sports talk radio. Yep. Although I currently don't have XM in the current vehicle I'm driving. And what that, happened to it? Oh, oh your other yeah, new vehicle. Yeah, yeah. different. Yeah, your it's, other vehicle. It's more about losing the vehicle. We should than cancel XM. the XM on that vehicle. Yeah. Now yeah, that you say as that. Todd's realizing, oh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, probably still paying on that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I'm really missing the uh, the satellite sports radio channels. Like it's hard. It's hard sometimes driving in the middle of the state. There isn't. You miss. You don't get Milwaukee. You don't get Madison. You don't get Green Bay. So there's nothing. It's kind of unfortunate. You're in the middle of of nothing. Yes. Yeah. Don't get to hear about the Packers being five and one after owning the Bears. It's okay. Usually, I'm just thinking too much to even have the radio on. Whoa. Yeah. I am, just, I am familiar Doug's, with such things. Doug's a yeah. deep Doug's, thinker. Doug's thinking oh, yeah. truck. You guys don't just drive for hours that's, without the radio on? That's what Max told me he did the other day. I'm like, what are you yeah. thinking about murdering somebody or something? <laughs> no, like, who does that? That's like a really, psychopath thing. It's usually on a day that you're a little overwhelmed, and you, <laughs> yeah. put in a good, you put in a good 12, 13 hours, and you get in the truck to drive home, and you just... You for your mind is just racing. Yeah. You don't even think to turn on the radio. You've never yeah. done that. No, I, I never turn the radio off, and so it, I I've had periods where I don't remember what was on the radio or let it, I stopped listening to it. But I, he's also has periods where he doesn't remember driving for the last thirty minutes. No, sure. just, yeah. yeah, but everybody <laughs> has those Bla- little blackouts are fine. Well, usually my radio gets hey, Aaron Rodgers had a blackout. <laughs> oh yeah, long and then taunted fans of <laughs> his blackout. That was great. As long as you're not behind a school bus when you blackout, it's totally yes. fine. Or a piece of farm equipment. Yeah, that would also be a bad time to watch. Sure. Have you ever jumped in a combine with somebody and they don't have like any radio on or anything, and you're like, yeah, but usually if I'm jumping in a combine with somebody, they don't need the radio on because they have the, the, the sure the they farm got, radio. Yeah, they don't shut up the radio. The, That's true. With yeah. all the employees, yeah, yeah. You couldn't listen to the radio if you if you wanted to because then you can't hear that, and most half the chatter that comes through there is useless. But you still got to hear it. You know what I mean? I've been on the phone with farmers and. That's you always you can hear his background. background. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I can't hear you because all I can hear is you, yep. crazy Jimmy in the <laughs> cart. It sounded like somebody's stuck. Do you need to take care of that? <laughs> like, should I call you back in a few minutes? Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, we started talking pack five and one. That was was good. Yeah, Rogers, it was, we got through all. It was that. A good game. It didn't didn't go off the rails too hard. And Chicago's got a good defense. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm good. I feel good. Chicago's got a good defense. We're down some offensive weapons. We're down some offensive linemen. Like, well, they've been making a lot of moves in the last week as far as like trying guys out and signing a couple guys. It does feel like the last dance style. Like where we're just trying whatever, whatever. we can to get. But people. Ro- Rogers talking lately has sounded more and more optimistic to come back. I don't know. It make me feel more and more optimistic. It's funny. I was watching a show the other night, and two sports reporters are like. Is this what the Packers are like talking about Justin Fields? Like, is this what the Packers are going to look like next year with Jordan Love? Like, is this a preview no, for us? We are not that incompetent <laughs> of an organization. <laughs> like, we have a way better coach. We don't have an idiot for a GM. Like, the what the Bears organization has turned into, or as the, our Canadian friends say it, organization have turned into Nagy and Pace. Like, are probably the only people like worse than them is probably. Football team, maybe. Nagy's not a good team. coach, though. Like no, he's really say, bad. He's not. No. And, yeah, they're. I mean, he keeps firing himself from here <laughs> going place. Like every two weeks. <laughs> I want to do it. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Well, no, if they do good, he called the plays. And if it's bad, I'm it's sure. like I, tur- I, 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 I actually turned it over to Bill Lazor this week, but he doesn't say it till after the game. Yep, until after it's. So you can. He's a tool. Really relevant. Blame. Yeah, yep. he's a tool. He's a tool, and Ryan Pace is a. Dumb, dumb brains. So, now that we've uh, roasted the entire Bears front office, well, we'll be getting a message from Olin Krutz. Oh, yeah, that dude. The old center from the Bears who said, like, he would punch Rodgers in the face. For saying like, that he owned the Bears. Well, you know what you could have done is beat him be- yeah. at some point. <laughs> also, I saw someone on Twitter, I think it was Bukow- Peter Bukowski, put, uh, or responded to him and said, I bet you that punch would hurt a lot more with a ring. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty savage. I like it. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's really good. Yeah, it's like the one tweet Bukowski had in the last 365 days that was worth repeating. So, yeah. Tell us how you really feel, Max. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Keep moving along. Yep. You don't want to hear my Bukowski takes. <laughs> the one ring that did happen, though. The Bucks, the Bucks got, their, got their, rings. their rings. Yeah. Did you see them? They're huge. Yeah. Well, what rings aren't huge? Well, so every every ring gets bigger every year. Somebody said they're they're not that gaudy. I'm like, so yeah, they all are. Like that's the point. So of, you know, all all the Antetokounmpo brothers have rings, and Costas got one first with the Lakers. So when Giannis won his, and they asked him about designs, he said it's just got to be bigger than Costas. Nice. So Costas and who's the other one that's on the bull? Or Tanasis uh, Gian- and Giannis have bigger ones than their brother. Nice. That was the only goal, and it's not bigger by much, but it's bigger. So. I thought it was pretty cool they gave Herb Cole one. They gave... Uh, I thought that was cool. Why did they give Herb... Because he's not an owner anymore. No, but he, but he opened his bank for the... He, to, for the Pfizer. They gave, Pfizer. They gave yeah. one to Brandon makes, Jennings, too, I'm, I'm pretty really? sure. Yeah. Nice. I know he was in town for the ring ceremony. Who's Brandon Jennings? The Bucks original six. Bucks and Six. Like the guy oh, the who guy that said Bucks it? and Six. Well, he played for the Bucks, too. He <laughs> yeah. was a right. first-round yeah, draft know, pick, yeah. and we thought he was going to save our franchise, and he played for yeah. five-ish years. He was okay, but he wasn't really in a position yeah. to be successful either. But, yeah, he came back. and So there's like 1,500 diamonds in each ring. Wow. That's it? What are, the, what are those rings worth? Oh, they said, too. It was like lot because you can buy a mock-up one like for like it was like nine or ten grand (laughs) for for the (laughs) mock-up yeah like the the real one's got to be way more than that right i mean it was six all right milwaukee bucks diamond crusted championship ring has a qr code that plays season highlights (laughs) 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 that was what it popped up when i typed in bucks ring value let's see if they have the actual cost or um, they said they the Bucks never actually disclosed the cost of their championship rings, but uh, when LA did theirs the year previous, it was they were around twenty thousand dollars, and the Bucks should be very close to the same, based and you on could, carrots. And you could make and, a necklace out of it. It's three hundred and sixty diamonds, four point one four carats of emeralds. I heard fifteen hundred. Yeah, this lying. This the radio one, lied to me. I mean, it's fifteen hundred jewels total. I don't know. Uh, yeah. 
Each ring is inscribed with the player's name and number, the record of each playoff series, including Bucks and Six, and the team's Fear the Deer motto. The gold Larry O'Brien on the ring's face is made from 65.3% purity yellow gold, which also happens to be the team's win percentage during the 2020-21 season. And then the the approximate (laughs) carat weight for world for the world champions is 0.53, which is the amount of time the franchise has been in existence. 53 years. It's crazy how they work all that weird like little stuff in there. I'm looking at the ring. I'm trying to f- see where the QR code is. It says it has the QR code. Lots and, yeah, of service area to work with. The so. ring part is like either detachable or it pushes in something. There's a QR right on the bottom. Man. Oh, yep, there it is. I see it now. You like pop the face off. That's no, exactly the bat. This is or is that on the face? This I don't is know. insane, insanely good radio we got going here. But yeah, <laughs> you should Google the rings. They're pretty sweet. They're huge, huge, huge. And the bucks, the warm ups they came out in the gold warm ups were. Nice. That was you gonna buy one? No, they're like they're probably like two hundred dollars. No, but they were pretty sweet. They were really awesome for a ring ceremony to wear white and gold uh, warm ups. So. All right, you guys ready to talk some corn? You always. betcha. We always are. So this past Monday, we went out to the Fantasy Corn League plots, walked through and pulled some some test cobs. Yeah, they'll be harvested here in the next couple of weeks. So if I, all of you listeners remember back uh, to last fall, we did our corn draft, and we had uh, five teams that participated, and we did... Um, six varieties each. Uh, we had a bit of a snafu where we had to change some things around. And uh, maybe Bill will get into that. If maybe Put not. them on blast, Todd. <laughs> and so we had to um, pick, you know, not re-pick, but we kind of had to shift around some varieties. So at the end of the year, it won't be perfect that way that not everybody got the pick that they actually picked. Yeah, so there were a few substitutions, a yes, few replacements. We had some alternates that had to be used. Um, but overall it went well. Derek, do you have any comments on how the growing season went, planting it, um, any of the other things during the season? Any major injuries uh, to report? <laughs> no no injuries at the time, but uh, I do want to say thank you to all the seed salesmen that I reached out to that sent in seed. Um, really just great working with you guys this year, and uh, I appreciate sending in seed and getting it in a timely manner. Um, no, planting season went great. Um, seed packeting went just as expected, and I think everything went really smoothly. Pretty great con- conditions planting-wise. Uh, I think there was just a just a hair of a cold spell after planting, but uh, I don't think it affected too much. Yeah, so. we did have some varieties got hit by emergence pretty badly, so poor emergence because of that cold spell. Mm-hmm. So some of the ones that have you know that we know are pretty good varieties, but all of a sudden won't shake out too well in this plot or probably because of that. Um, even when we were out, we looked at, there's it's replicated four times out in the field, and we went and all of us looked at the first replicate, and, you know, there's probably three or four varieties out of the 30 varieties that you could tell just struggled out of the gates. So, you know, maybe they'll have time to pick back up, but what we saw is I don't think they're going to make up for that struggle out of the gate. It was December 4th. The episode, if you wanted to go back and listen, um, that was the Fantasy Corn League draft day. December 4th? December 4th. Wow. Seems later than I thought it was, but that's when it was. It's crazy. I think one thing we all noticed, like pretty much every variety had tar spot for the most part. Yeah, I don't yeah there's a lot of it saw out there. one that didn't have it. Obviously in varying degrees. degrees some were really bad some were not too bad and some seemed to get it and it didn't really seem to affect its performance all that much you know so i would agree bill that's the scary part with tar spot right now is everything's getting it it just depends how bad and what it can yield through so one thing to note this year on plots is look if the plot had tar spot and if it did that's probably a good thing because then you know okay yeah this variety might get it but it's going to yield through it because we've talked in the past, not a lot of the new books have a rating for Tar Spot. So we're kind of flying blind on that, and it's really frustrating. 
Um, shout out to NK again because their book does, but so far all the rest of the books we've looked at do not. No free ads. No, that I wish all of these should have a rating for a disease that's just crushing us. Well, all right the now. all the seed companies that wanted to participate are going to get a slight free ad, but the ones that didn't want to participate <laughs> get nothing. Get so not. yep. No, it's uh, you're you're hitting the nail on the head there, Todd. It's kind of like you know it'd be nice if everybody had a rating out, and I, I'm a little surprised they don't. Right, even just just a supplemental rating. Like, well, because we don't even need it perfectly right. We just we need pu- we something. Push, to we use. seem to get ratings pushed on us all the time that right. are useless. Yeah, <laughs> subpar at best. You know that there's not a whole lot of research behind, and for some reason, for this, we just aren't. I don't really understand. I mean, look how quick they push out white mold ratings on stuff that really they have no business putting out. Correct. But this, we're just pretending it doesn't exist instead, and I don't really understand that. But what would you want it to be like? High, low, medium, Any, present or not. Uh, present or not, they'd all say I present. Mean, I think it's all present, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, then the ones that say not, you know, are really good at it. But even high, low, medium would be good. And then e- even just to look at can it yield through the disease or not. Right. I mean, how that m- would be a bigger part. How much that is day length dependent and timing dependent versus actual varietal, like, like actually the variety is is going to yield through it because some of that could just be hey it could you know, first bottle came on the first week of september so if you had a 97 day or less you were good if you had a 98 day or more you got hammered like yeah. that's part of it too so it's really that does make it hard to rate it and you got to kind of decide how you want your rating system to work derek from a research standpoint like what could you see that uh, like a system of ratings early on like this that somebody could put out that would be useful yeah, um, I did do some, on some of our trials this year, I did do some kind of just very basic rating, kind of a high, low, medium thing, like you, you had said. It was in, in not present. It was a zero, Correct. not present, one, like low, two, yep. medium, three, high. You know, just... And I think in, in plant breeding, and I think what most of the bigger companies probably will have in the future is um, they usually do like a, it's a nine to one rating. And it, uh, I think it goes in increments of three usually, so it'll be like a one um, for not present and, and so on. So up to nine. Even, Bill, the timing it came on would matter. Oh, so, like, yeah. you did most of those ratings in August. Like, was it late August? Mid-August? Right. It would have been late August, early so, September. So, like, if if it's present already then and it's bad, you're going to get hammered. Sure. So right. that would be the other part is at harvest, you know, you're not going to know how bad it was. You're just going to know it was there. But could it hold it off for three weeks and yield through, you know, or hold and add yield at that point? Which so. might go to Max's take of I, right of when it comes on, right? If it comes on really early and you yield through it, well, then it's a good variety, right? Because it, it got hit hard early and it managed through it. And, Derek, you, those ratings weren't on this plot, right? It was on a different Correct. trial you had that Correct. one, of, one yep. of the stipulations was to to monitor that or measure That's that. correct. Yeah. How early did you see tire spot come into the plots? Like, do you remember about when it was? Um, I, I wasn't out there as much in that one, probably when it came on. But um, So I know it seemed like a lot of it was on the later side of this year anyway. At least in this geography, other areas might have seen it come on sooner, but it was... Like we were talking about later I, on the later side, it's not going to have as big I, of an impact. I had my very first case on August second, so that was the first one I saw. Yeah, and most of the stuff I saw was yeah, like somewhere between beginning and middle of August. So, not August first didn't happen. It was August second. It was August second because the first was a Sunday. <laughs> so I know I know exactly which farm I was on. So I know that's how I know what the day was. Nice. So, but yeah, I did notice because I was tasked on monday to pick a cob each time we wanted the same person so i I just did it but i did notice like the longer maturities had more mold on the cobs when i would pick them and the shorter day maturities were freer of mold doug you had a really good point on that do you want to bring up of it was husk tightness and then day length yeah it just seemed like some of the corn like especially your 100 day like 95 to over 100 it just seemed like it started drying down and like all the moisture stayed in the cob in the husk and uh it, it seemed like the top just didn't open up ever so those are usually the worst ones right now for having mold at the top of the cob 
but then there's some of the 95 days that now are opening up and they're still standing upright and they're getting mold at the bottom of the cob now that is black. So we had, we had talked about this during silage harvest a little bit that, you know, we were finding a lot of plants where the grain was completely dry, you know, ready to go and the plants were green. And that I think at this point now we're starting to see that translate to this mold where the plants are still like working to get to their maturity, but they haven't quite got there yet. But the cobs are done, like you know. And a lot of the the, so the shanks upright. are still upright. They're upright. Right? They're the not husks hanging. are still really tight, like all that stuff. Even the dry down this fall, I think it's slower than guys thought, and I a lot of that is because of the uprightness of certain cobs. Yep. It would make sense, right? The the shorter day maturities are going to hopefully dry down faster, so the cobs are going to fall, or the husks are going to open up better. Maybe not so much the opening up, because that might just be varietal difference, but at least flopping down where the rain we had isn't going to sit in there. Yeah. I was in the combine a uh, week or so ago, and we were combining some corn. It was coming across at like 19, and sitting in the combine, all the cobs were still upright. So at nineteen percent, they're still upright. I mean, that's insane. That's that not, is dry. Yeah. That's not what we're you know twenty four. Usually, we're we're all tipped down. So I guess that's kind of a trend I'm seeing. I think we saw that going through the plots too. That some some varieties there was a lot more standing than there were yep. dropped. And just looking at the cobs I have in front of me from my plot, you know, it seems some of the taller ones or the longer cobs have more mold than some of the shorter ones too. So. Depending on cob size and girth, made it seem to make a difference. So, should we go into our average projected yields here? Sure. So, uh, I guess I I can explain this. So, what we did basically was uh, we picked one cob from every plot, um, and then we counted kernels around, kernels long, just like a standard you know yield estimate. And then we at, we said the population was thirty. Um, I believe these are planted at Derek. What were these planted at? Or these were at uh, 32. So we, we took 30 as like a, okay, here's, you know, if you did 32, we got 30, you know, like kind of a average number. Obviously, I don't think our populations are actually 30 across the board, but just for the sake of argument, we did it. And we came up with our basic yield estimate numbers. Now, normally when you do yield estimate, you do mul multiple spots, you do more than one cob, all that stuff, right? But for the sake of argument, we kind of just wanted to see how we were going. And we were trying, Bill was picking average cobs, should have been picking average cobs. I think some of us, he may be... Max may have bullied him into picking a bigger cob on a couple. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was the other way around. I picked the bigger ones on mine, and the Maxes I picked smaller. Yeah, on so we so. well, yeah, the combines are still going to be the tell-all. So right. yep, the, the judge. judge. Yes, the judge. So, but we do have we do have our current standings. If we take our 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 projected estimates uh, or projected yields here, um, do you want to go first to last or last to first? First doesn't matter. First place. Okay. Then we want everybody to talk about their team a little bit. Sure. Okay, so in first place, the projected winner yield is uh, me. All right. 175.1 is an average um, bushels yield. I think these estimates are a little low. They're very, they're, they're very conservative, yes. They're low. Um, when I redid them at kind of the full length, we kind of pulled back some of the by about four kernels count long. They're going to be about 25 bushel more than this. So, um, But for making it all equal we wanted it that way right. so i i mean i in general this plot's gonna average you know if if we if we count and don't be conservative and kind of use that full number it's gonna average 203 sure so i guess uh my first my first big or you know studs that really showed up for me was uh bex 48 44 and uh dairyland 35 50 um and those were two you know, relatively early picks for me, actually. Um, Bex was my 1-1, one, one, and uh, Dairyland was, uh, I took 14th, that thirty-five fifty. I took 14th overall, and they both, you know, seemed to do their job and do what I wanted them to do, so. When you picked um thirty-five fifty Max, you called it a big chunk of ear, looks good, consistent, and you gave it a captain badge. So yep. you said that was going to be like the, the captain of your team, that it could just hang on to kind of hold down the fort so we'll yeah, see what that one does it, it was last year you know obviously we had to pick based on last year's performances and it just seemed to be consistent and i looked at a lot of plots and win lose or draw on those plots it seemed to yield very you know some plots it was third some plots it was 10th some plots it was first but it always the yield was always almost the same so just kind of depended on some of the other performers in the plot so that's kind of where i 
some of these were racehorse and some of these were like, hey, just get out there and do your job kind of varieties. And um, like I said, the 48-44, that, that was my first pick and that was the highest yielder, you know, projected on my team. So I guess that way it worked out the way it was supposed to. And Dairyland being my, the thirty-five fifty being my third pick, um, being the second highest on the team was helpful. So um, nobody really disappointed me a whole lot. I I don't think, you know, they all did kind of the Plus, legend ninety nine ninety three was a little a little low. I would have liked it a little higher, but we always would like it a little higher, right? So How's your DeKalb fifty one ninety eight look? You wanna hold up that cob? Yeah, fifty one ninety eight. That one was number three in twenty twenty in our plots last year. So I thought that one was interesting that it it looked very pedestrian, I wanna say, in the field and looked okay, but that one might kind of be a surpriser and yield honestly the cobs on the on that did not follow the normal like kind of growth pattern that i'm used to seeing out of that variety they're a little bit narrower a little bit longer and generally i see a little bit you know more chunky ear on that so that was kind of interesting um but the other part of that one is out in the plots and like i said we just looked at the rep one we didn't look at all four reps but it had pretty poor emergence so yeah it's a lot of these in our plots if you see you know, varieties that go, well, that one should have yield better or, you know, why is that one kind of number three in 2020 and now is going to drop to the middle of the pack or under? It's it's because of that. It, it well, just it, some, about four to five varieties we found out there that were really low populations and had poor emergence. And I believe 5198, if you look in the book, it'll classify it as a racehorse style of hybrid. And uh, in general, I find that when they use the term racehorse, that generally means that you, they, they you, can't have things go wrong. To, you know, quote, to quote you, Max, you said, flexible, go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently that was wrong. <laughs> wrong. Because it did not take the poor emergence. There I really is. heard it. So, but Sometimes that's a tough, when you say this, flexible, go anywhere. Well, that doesn't mean, when, can, that doesn't mean when it gets freezing cold right after planting. Some yeah. just don't work through that. So overall, uh, pretty happy with the team I picked. I mean, and we'll see when the... I was happy walking through the plots, you know, comparing just looking at everybody else's and mine. I didn't think I was lagging behind. I thought I should be pr- pretty good, and it turns out I was in really good shape, I guess. But we'll see when the combine goes through. So That uh, 51.98, I also – that was the one where I was walking through and there was all those bare plants that just didn't have a cob on oh, it. Oh, yep. yeah. I had that comment, so. Yep. yep. That was interesting. Um, Second place team projected second place team is going to be bill with a projected yield of 174.4 seven tenths under you yeah it's tight race i guess uh, as far as mine goes uh one thing that really stands out for me is my so the number one number one pick like first pick in the whole draft was 4895 decal and that was by far like my girthiest year it was 20 around the rest were 16s and 18s um that one did have a fair amount of mold on the top again a little bit longer day like we were talking a minute ago um and i would say um full disclosure on my team i had a high pick some of my picks we weren't able to obtain the seed so we had to swap out so um but one of my more disappointing ones at least way the cob looks i think is my rank uh, 579 um for a longer day maturity kind of expected it to be a little bit better it's got decent round it's just really short that would be interesting how it yields because we just saw that one in one of our silage plots derek and it did really well sure so i it'd be interesting you know sometimes you look at cobs and you go well this one should do awesome and it's population matters a whole lot and how consistent those cobs are i'd rather take small consistent cobs over you know a couple giant cobs i'm gonna put on my seed salesman hat here seeing bill hold up that that 579 cob again those are big kernels i'm gonna guess that they're they're pretty deep they're they're gonna be real deep and we're gonna yield out for you real nice test weight will be good you know all those you know those buzzwords that we hear um at seed meetings that hey man and when you count it out it's not that great but it's deep kernel good test weight you know should should bring you know bring you what you want but i will say those are some pretty monster looking kernels from here so bill in my notes from the plot Rank five, seventy nine, consistent cobs and tall. Yeah, you know, so it just that'll be an interesting one to see where it mine where was, it shakes out. Mine was low cob, cob placement. Like it must have been like 
Sure. Yeah, those were like the waist-high ones. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't at your eye level. So um, I did have one, and it would have been neat to be out in the plots like a month and a half ago, but the uh, DeKalb 4480 had a nice big chunk taken out of the top. Almost looks like it could have been an earworm or western bean cutworm or something like that. So be, it would have been interesting to be out there in that specific variety to see if Maybe that one was on there, um, but I guess we'll see. All right. Um, then our third our third place team is uh, Doug at 172 projected. All Doug, right. what do you got to say? Um, so we'll just go down the list of how I drafted them. So my first pick, not in here. Um, so technically this will be my second pick, was the 4199 to Kelp. Uh, this has got a huge girthy cob on it. Um, Looks like it's pretty dry overall. No mold on it or anything. Just looks like it's going to be a beast. Is that the one you showed us that was like rock solid? Nope. No. Nope. Oh, that was nope. a different one. Never mind. Keep Doug, that one, 41.99 right now is in our ear counts projected to be the top yielder, which is just unbelievable that a 91 day could do that. Sometimes you got to think about that too is, yeah, it helps what the combine says, but what we're looking at today, if if they look like they can compete, that's something that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I guess just looking at the plot, it had probably the lowest uh, tar spot, um, or the the best tar spot response compared to the rest of the decalps. It seemed like it it had probably the least amount of tar spot, um, and it just had probably the best color to it yet, where like most of the other corn in the plot looked like it was uh pretty black and uh overall had a really good population in the 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 one plot we looked at so um all right then my third pick was uh lg 5410 because i was trying to get all the shortest day best corns and that one looks pretty good overall um uh, the population on the lg on all the LG in our plot, it seemed like it was a little bit lower than it should be, so we'll see how that rattles out. I don't know if anybody else has got a comment on that one. I had short. The tops were broke off, too, on that one, so it didn't look very good. Like, you know, I, oh, this was a showy corn. I don't yep. think this is a showy corn the way that, the way it looked at that point. Yep. So then... Did you, did you draft... Um, did you draft fifty four ten or was that a I drafted that? Yeah. Okay, you drafted fifty four ten. I drafted that one. It's my other variety that got dropped. Gotcha. Um and then we got Cropland uh thirty seven ninety five, which looks pretty good. There's a little bit of mold on the cob overall. I think it's gonna be a gonna yield pretty good. Pretty spongy cob here. But looks really good. I don't know if anybody had any other comments on that one. In the Cropland was surprising. I thought all the varieties that were in the plot yeah. were better than I expected when they were drafted. All right. So then on to pick four for me was uh, Dairyland 3366, 93-day corn. Um, I was passing this around before. This is what Bill brought up a little bit ago. This thing is rock hard. These kernels are super dry. Um, overall, not an impressive cob to look at. But when you start counting kernels, it's it's all right. I mean, it should yield. Funny part, Doug, is my notes. I put ugly. Yeah. So the whole like the whole plant must just be ugly. Yeah. It just. But who cares? It's right? one of those it's, that he. It's it's again the seed salesman, man. You know the yeah. you you know the pitch. It's an ugly corn. It's just going to do its job for yeah. you. You well, know, looking at that cob, like how dense that cob is, like. Yeah. Doug, when you picked that one, you literally said just needed a ninety two day looks good in the book. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I mean like it's, it it was just a like, hey, this one rates good, it's it's I all mean, right. It like wasn't the, one that this you kinda, particular cob even has like some pollination issues, but it's filled out to the tip, so we'll I'm gonna see. be pretty excited if it does yield good just by how I mean, well, just the things for, we just talked about, how it doesn't look impressive, yeah. but it just it just fills the and bin. I feel like it might be the driest corn in the plot. It just how rock hard that thing is. Okay, on to my fifth pick here, the uh, DeKalb forty seven fifty five. 
That one looks pretty good too. Um, overall, just this cob's just kind of an average cob and looks like it'll yield, but a little bit down in the plot here. But we'll see how the population turns out on that one. Um, and then my last pick was LG, actually 54C48, but it got switched out for LG 51C48. Oh, it's the opposite. So this is correct. Oh, That's so yeah, I picked 51C48, and I actually got 54C48. But this cob looks all right, and actually for a longer day, it doesn't have too much mold on it. Looks like it's drying down pretty good. A little bit of a spongy cob, but and I, I think the reason for that one, I think they might have, I think he might have said that they're getting rid of 51 and they're going to 54 as their as their carrier for that one. So that's that's I think the reason why that one got switched out. Okay. Good. Good. All right. All right. All right. And uh, now we'll move on. We'll move on to our next one here, and that's going to be be Todrick. Over here with a 168 projected yield average. So, Todd, what do you got for us? All right, let's start with the uh, Rank 600 was my first pick. And this was the one you guys saw that commented. Um, it did have some sprouting on the ear going on and just a little bit of it, a mold kind of in the mid and then some at the top. Really nice looking ear, though, like heavy, could yield really well still, but it might have some, a little bit of the wheels falling off as far as, um, cob health goes in kernel, kernel health and everything. And my number two pick was Dairyland um, thirty one ninety three, and that's an interesting one. Is that I would kind of just wanted a short day because we had talked. There's not a lot in that category, and Doug picked the ninety two day. That's pretty similar to it, and I would say it it looks similar. But I mean, this is a high pick, and that was one of your lower picks mm -hmm. that. Um, Pretty happy with this grain, not real showy, and I think it'll do okay, but I think it'll yield close to what Doug's was yielding. So it might not be the, the best that way as far as uh, might have jumped the gun a little bit trying to pick a 92-day one that, that one, we knew. That one we noticed in the field was really tall, so could be a silage option. Todd just made a good comment that I thought was interesting about jumping the gun, picking a variety. I, I can't wait to see the draft this year, how much different the strategy is. You know, because there is some strategy involved in right. picking these varieties more than just picking good ones. You got to make sure you get get the hammers where you can. And if you can't, you know, try and get the best of one of those real short day or real long day. I think that we all got an education on that pretty quick. Next one I had was rank 561. Um, and that actually looks better than the rank 600. Right now, uh, looks pretty pretty good in the field it was the one that uh, find a note here so you're not finding that so yeah the just overall was okay nothing kind of spectacular this one kind of gonna be in that 180s for yield to 200 so just kind of almost looked look good if it can finish out it's kind of an average looking good cob which is good then I had um, fourth round picked a 3162 Dairyland. Uh, that one had a little bit of mold on top and kind of more of a, a girthy ear, but it didn't really put much length on it, so it's going to struggle a little bit in that category and just could maybe be able to yield just because the amount of girth, but the, the length is going to hurt this one. And that, that is the lowest projected yielder in the plot right now. This one is right yep. here. Yeah. Not, not. I mean, honestly, you look at this cob and you go. It, it no, it just doesn't. Worst, it just didn't just, count out very well. Yeah. Yep. Next one I got is LG forty four C twenty seven, and I think this one was an alternate as well. And overall, looks okay. LG always kind of has not as many around, kind of a longer cob, so it's got that typical LG look to it that way more length in the cob and not as much sort of girth. A uh, little bit of mold in the middle, so that makes you a little nervous. And like Doug said, that's kind of just some of these longer day ones have that. And rounding out mine, my last pick was actually Dairyland 3810. And right now, which like this cob doesn't look anything special, but out of mine, it was the best yielder. It's real 
again, real girthy to it. So, you know, kernels around are always more important than kernels long. And I think a lot of times that show, especially when you're doing corn growers plot, is length, not you want to throw out length, but if you can get some 20 rounds is way better than having anything else. I mean, one kernel around is worth four kernels to five kernels long. So it's just... I really to, something speaking to look of at. Corn growers, Todd, I just I have a grower that does one, and he he picks a Pioneer hybrid and a DeKalb hybrid, and and both companies were there just watching how it was being harvested, and I kind of manage and be the the outside party, and both of them had, had asked when I was wheeling out the the lengths, you're like, well, what does it look like? I'm like, none of these cobs look impressive. They were really short cobs, but we had planted at thirty five thousand, so. You know, you got twenty round at thirty five thousand. They don't have to be forty long. It can be thirty long or thirty five long and be awesome. It yielded like two seventy. I would say I saw that as a trend this year in general. I never, I did not walk in very many fields, and you know, from the outside looking in, like man, these cows look huge, but a lot of them counted out okay and yielded okay when we got through them. But I didn't see a ton of real impressive looking ears most of the year, really. So. It, some of that's an environmental thing, but I don't know what you guys saw. But from counting kernels, like I didn't see a lot of 14s or 12s this year. No, or it seems like other it's, years it's what's crazy is a all lot of 14s like, and, and this is over kernels. like a lot of fields yield checks and all that. And it was 16 by like 31 was just write it down. It was so many 16 rounds, very little 14s, of, you know, some 18s, some 20s, all that. But it just seemed like it it just came in that way. And even more impressive is I totally agree that was the number but it went on bmr flex and straight grain and they were all doing the same thing right. which normally your bmr numbers are super wonky compared to your grain numbers and they just it was like the same thing over and over again it's kind of like well what the heck are we got going here right so, you're right it was yeah very very interesting i guess a little quirk for this year um and then we'll move on here to matt with a projected yield of 161.1 all right, so start things off. My top pick was a replacement, so I drafted forty uh, DeKalb forty three ten. Got DeKalb forty three seventy five. Uh, was a long, kind of thinner cob, so not terribly impressive looking, but decent. You know, I had a little bit of mold there, and some of the the kernels started to kind of draw back a little bit late in the season, so. For your number one pick, you kind of hope to see a little bit more performance out of it. Than it's hard when your number one, one pick, you get an alternate. This is alternate. You know, yeah. it just doesn't work. And that one seemed to get hit by tar spot real bad. So it just seemed like it kind of lost your top end yield. Yep, didn't didn't seem to yeah, withstand that very well. So uh, that one's a little disappointing. But my number two pick, NK9738, uh, it's a real girth to it. One of only two 22 rounds in, in our plots. Uh, so I... Would have liked a little bit more length. Start again. This one you can see started to nose back. Uh, got some kind of dried up kernels at the top. So that little bit of extra length, you know, even another four or five kernels, I think would have made a big difference on this one. But still, a pretty solid. Things a beast. That's though. a, a box. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a solid cob. It's yeah. almost double round. Like just looking at it, almost one and a half times around every other cob. That one in the field too had real high placement, which was odd. Yep. So it was kind of yeah, a that was the, different field. The club beating you in the head as you're walking yeah. through <laughs> through the field. Uh, so then go into cropland. Thirty eight ninety nine was my third pick. Uh, this too, kind of like the the kelbs, seeing a little bit of mold here. Um, did fill out almost all the way to the end, so a little bit more length than it had the girth around. Uh, so respectable cob. With some some decent looking kernels, not a not a overly showy, but not a disappointing cob by any means either. So that was Matt. I had noted on that one. There wasn't many that I noted, but they they had some lodged plants. Sure. So we'll see how that affects yield. There was like three of them I noted that had like one stock or two stocks tipped over. That could just be whatever, but it was it was noticeable, I guess. Then we move into my fourth pick, LG 49C19. This was a newer variety, kind of a a gamble on this one. Um, again, would have liked to see a little bit more length. You can see some nosing back at the top, but a decent, you know, pretty solid cob. 
So <clears throat> would have liked to see a little bit more performance out of it for, I think this one was listed as a racehorse, if I remember right, for a newer variety, but um, still pretty decent. And then for my next pick, we got the late game steal. That's what I'm going to call this one. This was a later round pick, but Daggerland 4018. This one performed. This had the length, the size, pretty solid cob. How did that make it to the end? Yeah, I picked it in I think round seven. Was it just a lack of information? We haven't seen it enough, or what? Well, we've what? seen that. one. I know that's well, what I don't it, understand. It's a long day, and we're in a northern geography, so I think that was made that a little bit more of a risk. More of a a silage that is yep. also part play of it. that I mean, even looking at that cob there's no mold on it no it really i, I mean it just it's unbelievable how much yeah. that that it, it had a rock star year too you know yeah. some 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 years certain varieties just kind of do the do the thing and 4018 kind of did the thing this year yeah that one will be interesting too it had tar spot but it looked like it was yielding through it right just pushed right so through it, it, it so. had, you know like we said a lot of them had it this one seemed to have it enough but it didn't bother it and the husks were open for 100 day we didn't see a lot in the plots that the husks were open this one this one opened up opened yeah. up and you can definitely see like you said matt there's no mold on that sucker at all yeah so real happy with that for late game pick and then my last pick um, was probably the most disappointing out of all. Just kind of a small cob. We'll see if it's consistent in the plot, but uh, that's Titan Pro 8295. This, again, was another kind of gamble one, taking a shot at something. And um, we'll see if the final yields, but it is pretty solid. I mean, it's firm cob. Not a lot of sponginess there like some of the other varieties had, so... Um, just would like to see a little bit more length, kind of a shorter, shorter cob kernels are a little bit smaller. So would like to see a little better performance, but again, for a gamble, can't really complain too much. So, so we talked about the best and the worst yielders. We got to hit the, uh, Mr. Irrelevant talk. The last pick that we made went, I believe that was bills. Wasn't it? Should have been pick 40. Yeah. That would be Those jo- the Jones. Yeah, Jones, yeah. and looks like it's going to be pretty solid. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, 39 S three three eight, so shorter day maturity. And this one I picked because I have a couple growers that grew it and did really well with it, so I kind of went with some field history. And I knew, knowing that the soil type that these growers were planting it into was similar to our plots, so yep. thinking that maybe I can... Hedge some field experience uh, with that, and that one I remember in the plot being kind of ugly though, like yeah. stock wise. The cob looks decent, but the the stalks were pretty beat up and a lot of breakage and other stuff in that one. So, so we'll see if Mister. It's projected to be in the middle of the plot somewhere. I it I think doesn't that show like when you compare this to fantasy football and you get into like the fifth sixth round stuff really taint. You know, you go from your top two rounds, you're getting like. Most of your points come in those first three rounds yeah. when you figure that, those those top players and somewhere like that. And one cool thing with picking varieties is you don't have to be perfect. You know, some of these are going to yield really well. Maybe we'll have to do that as, you know, yield by pick or something like that. But I think you're going to see even some of these later picks out yield some of our top picks. So yep. it's not about initially being perfect. It's about making so you don't pick the bad picks, I guess. I, so. uh, I got a little, Matt, you mentioned that that Jung's variety was ugly in the plot. My exact words written down here were uneven placement. If you guys remember when we were walking through there, the cobs were yeah. above your head, at your knee, yep. in the middle. Like, it was all over, you know? So, that that's, I don't know if that's really a problem necessarily, but it was it was pretty wonky when we were walking through it, so. I think Derek mentioned it before. You know, you look at this growing season, and we've talked about it on the podcast all year. When you go from cold to decent weather to f- having a frost in late may then super hot in june then wet through the rest of the summer. i mean we've had a, a real roller coaster year as far as you know weather conditions and so there's a lot of a lot of factors playing into what we're seeing here and but ultimately the combine is going to be the judge so we'll see what what the plots bring when when they're harvested thanks derek for being the commish yeah, thanks guys. It's been it's been a fun uh, project to yeah. work on. And yeah, and we'll have you back in when we harvest and 
when we got yep. the judge numbers so then then we can really trash talk and yeah it'll be fun and there'll be pictures of these on our, our Facebook, Matt, or what do you think we'll put them? Yep, we'll put them out on Facebook and yeah, Twitter. Yeah, so all our teams will be on there. And, um, yeah, if you want to take a look and see what you think. All right, so now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So on Thursday, the House Agricultural Committee passed the Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act with a unanimous vote allotting $70 million annually to chronic wasting disease control. So as many of you are probably familiar, chronic wasting disease, also known as the zombie deer disease, is a contagious neurological disease found in deer, elk, and moose. Misfolded proteins or prions produce behavioral changes, lack of coordination, drooling, drooping... Excuse me, drooping ears, drastic weight loss, among other symptoms that eventually lead to death. First found in Colorado in 1967, disease has spread to free-ranging and captive animals in at least 26 states. Part of the big part of the reason I had this for our spotlight this week is one of the biggest backers of the bill was Representative Ron Kind of Wisconsin, um, which obviously you know deer hunting in Wisconsin is a huge deal, but there's a lot of deer farms in Wisconsin when you start looking at numbers. Um, so this is a pretty big deal. Um, I know we just, I think we're down to basically every county in Wisconsin now has a, a baiting ban due to CWD and it's not much left, you know, um, there's a lot of it around, but, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but CWD is just deer version of mad cow. I think they're like the same. They're pretty close. Yeah. They're very like be, be similar, similar issues. Yeah. That you see in the animals. Bill and I not being deer hunters. What, what are these like CWD stations set up? Like. There's it's one in town here, so like you can a, test it and see if yeah, they got like a it. they got like a freezer in a crate looking thing. Yep, yep, yeah, you bring what, the head in to test. Oh, that. they you so you just like self, it's voluntary. You cut the head off, put it in this freezer, and then tell DNR you did that or something. I I guess I've never done it, but I I'm assuming yeah, you take it in, they give you a, a number or whatever, and then okay. they'll, t- they'll give you the test so, results. So. The Wisconsin DNR did a fantastic job. This is sarcasm in case you can't read into this. <laughs> they did a fantastic job and did away with in-person deer oh, um, registration. They had the registration. So when they used to do yeah. registration in person, they used to be able to take samples as they went. Sure. Well, they did away with that. Was that COVID or was that no, just... This no, that was, was, this was, this was pre, mostly pre-COVID. laziness and just not wanting to do your job. Well, I think there was a is push from some hunters too to... See, I just don't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, the, I just remember that being kind of you know like bars or check-in cool. station loved it. Right, it kind a lot of, gave of bars, community feel to bars and gas stations would do big book contests yeah, around yeah. it. And, yeah. Somebody I, mean, I actually also was monitoring it because right. I could register a deer in your name tomorrow if I wanted to, right? Like, pretty like, easily. Think, but that's besides the point. Anyway, now we have to have these CWD sampling sites, and you kind of got to submit your own sample just because we don't. You're not forced to bring your deer in and have them registered. So I don't know how much I can't say that's directly contributed to CWD outbreaks or anything like that, but I do wonder how many less samples we're getting a year without the mandatory registration in person. So, yeah, that, I think that would have come in sometime after the. I'm trying to remember what year they started the online registration. Probably thing, four, but that was four years ago. They started online, and two years ago they complete because you the first like two years you had could do either. You could online, or you yeah. could take them in. That was it. Was after the implementation of the Deers are that we ah uh, yes program here in Wisconsin. So Doctor Deer, the guy from Texas. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so if you're curious or concerned about CWD, there are testing sites around. Uh, like Todd said, here in Seymour, we have one at the Municipal Works, and always a good idea we don't want this to become too big of an issue i mean it already is a pretty big issue but so i'm gonna so i'm gonna show my lack of knowledge on on this this issue here if you shoot a deer you go get it tested and it's positive for cwd then do you have to dispose of the deer can you still eat it you can still eat it you can still eat it and the dnr will give you another deer tag nice for next year like to try to kill more in that area that to well, stop. It's, like it's yeah what's the plan to stop like, this they, like you can eat the you can eat the deer but they're saying you shouldn't eat the deer because this could eventually uh what's the word i want to use like get transferred into humans oh. so like if you get a cwd test 
positive tested deer, you should just throw it away. But they're saying also that you can't get it now, but in the future, this might. Right. And different parts of the deer are more. So it's, it's very similar to mad cow disease and it's contained basically in the spinal cord and the brain. So like you could eat a cow with mad cow disease. It's not going to kill you or harm you as far as we know, because it's not contained in the actual muscle meat that we eat. Just don't eat the brain. Right. Which deer, it's the same way. It's contained in the brain and the spinal cord. So if you, you know, aren't eating that stuff, which I don't know anybody who does deer brain. Cow brain, I know like a... There are some people that do. But I don't know anybody who does deer brain. I don't... Yeah. Or spinal cord. How big is a deer brain? Um, like size of a softball. Yeah, not little, very big. That, probably. Uh, right. softball's generous. Yeah, I was gonna say like uh, golf ball. I don't know. <laughs> they're bigger than that, but they're not not like by it's much. Not very big. Yeah. Max, you must kill the smart ones. No, <laughs> all, all our no, co- dude. If I kill them, there's, there's just no way they're very smart. <laughs> all our cobs are bigger than deer brains. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right, now we'll move into the egg history minute. I love the banjo. All right. Today we're talking about Dolly the Sheep. So Dolly the Sheep was successfully cloned back in 1996, like 10 years ago, right? Uh, <clears throat> that's when Bill graduated from high school. <laughs> that's when Max was born. That is, yeah, the year Max was born. So Max is only 10 years old. Uh, by fusing the nucleus from a mammary gland cell of a Finn Dorset ewe into an enucleated egg cell taken from a Scottish blackface ewe. Carried to term in the womb of another Scottish blackface ewe, the Dolly was a, a genetic copy of the Finn Dorset ewe. Dolly remained alive and well at, long after her birth with a functional heart, liver, brain, and other organs, all derived genetically from the nuclear DNA of an adult mammary gland cell. Technique used to produce her later became known as somatic cell nuclear transfer, or SCNT. SCNT has since been used to generate a wide variety of mammalian clones from different types of adult cells. Its success in producing clones of primates, however, has been notably limited. So, no human cloning quite yet, but... I realized, like, after I had, you know, kind of written the episode, like, man, I'm I'm a week ahead on spooky season. We had zombie deer, and now we're doing clones. Clones, And we're going to do, I don't want to say Frankenstein, but Frankenstein coming up here, and all sorts (laughs) of fun stuff. Maybe next week. I just reread this episode next week <laughs> for spooky season. So, yeah, no. Un, unlike Jim Rome, we can't call each other clones because we're not really clones. But I do remember when Dolly died. Like, I remember, like, yeah. it was like I was in school and it was like a thing. The day that Dolly died. Matt, you probably remember when, like, news of this was. Yeah, like, I remember it being kind of a big oh, deal. Like, huge. oh, they cloned a sheep. Was, yeah, was Dolly it was like, on. Was it really cloned? And then the, she you was know. on, like, The Late Show and stuff, wasn't she? Oh, well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah they would have done all sorts yeah. of different stuff with her, yeah. And I believe she only died. She had, like, a tumor or something. They, yeah. How well, old was she when she like died? Like, six? Well, okay. 2096 to 2003, so seven. Yeah. What, what's okay. interesting about this is, like, how big of a deal it was then, and then you really Six, don't hear anything yep. about it anymore. No. Like, February 14th. She was she was a put down by a vet, if I remember correctly. The life of Dolly the sheep. She's euthanized. Yeah. Not put down. Yeah. Husband of the vet over here. Yeah. You can't say put down. Why not? I'm just saying. Oh. She was sent to that big pasture in the sky. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she had progressive lung disease. There you go. I knew there was something like there was a reason they put her down. So, 2001, she was diagnosed with arthritis as well. So she had... I don't I don't know what life expectancy on a sheep is either. So I don't know. If that, like, yeah, six years seems pretty good. Like, Run, seven years. I have no idea. Great. Thank you to all the listeners out there. And we want you to subscribe to the podcast, tell a farmer friend. How they listen is they search Tilt Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or on your Android phone. You can use Podcast Addict, Podbean, Podbean or Player FM. And we can you can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltegg.com slash podcasts. Matt, where can they follow us? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. 
And yeah, it looks like average life expectancy for a sheep is 10 to 12 years. They said it's pretty close, excuse me, pretty close to that of a large dog. <laughs> All right. Now let's wrap things up here with some current events. So cool beans, that's corny. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Dougie, I say cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans this week. Surgeons have successfully tested a pig kidney transplant in a human patient. So for the first time, a pig kidney has been transplanted into a human without triggering immediate rejection by the recipient's immune system, a potentially major advance that could eventually help alleviate a dire shortage of human organs for transplant. The procedure was done at NYU Langen Health in New York City involved a use of a pig whose genes had been altered so that its tissues no longer contained a molecule known to trigger almost immediate rejection. The recipient was a brain-dead patient with signs of kidney dysfunction whose family consented to the experiment before she was due to be taken off life support, according to the news outlets. You can, you can read more and read like some of the medical like numbers they followed to see, like, oh yeah, this number went down, which means they were back to normal kidney function, some of that stuff. But the cool thing is that we... At some point, and it seems like it's getting closer and closer, we can do full, you know, organ. Right now we do, like, we have bovine and pig. Pig valves. And pig stuff, valves. Yeah. We can do full organs, which yeah. would be pretty awesome. I did see yesterday driving down the highway there was a car. It had, a <clears throat> like, a sign on the side of the door. It was like, my dad needs a kidney. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah, you, you see those every once in a while. Over, yeah. So, obviously, it's a big deal. Can you imagine someday when, you know how now there's, like, we're grain farmers, but these guys are seed farmers. Can you imagine when we have pork farmers and transplant pork farmers? <laughs> so just for reference, Bill, uh, in the U.S., nearly 107,000 people are presently waiting for organ transplants, and that includes more than 90,000 awaiting a kidney. Kidneys must just be like the most, like, popular kidney well, yeah dialysis and you know you hear a lot of people yep. who go on dialysis well, and stuff so i think it is a pretty common and liver failure. you very rarely need a full transplant right you, right, liver you can do partials or, yep. yeah you, you get what's well, three lobes and you only need two of them or something or you only need one of your liver or something like that i I'm, think that's how it works i'm not a doctor but yeah it is a partial usually I think that's how it works um but yeah the wait for time for a kidney averages three to five years oof so I mean, there are even like dialysis treatments and stuff. I know have a have a shelf life. You can't stay on dialysis forever. But the the interesting thing is here, or what I think is interesting is it should be easier to make matches because it doesn't seem like you have to find that O negative or B positive. You know, you don't have to match blood type exactly, which would be cool because that's part of the holdup. Is you know you got to be match. Si- size and weight, but then you got to have you know your you got to be the same blood type or it's not going to work. So even to alleviate some of that list is like, obviously they give it to the person that needs it the most or is in, you know, intensive care, just waiting. And then once they give it to them, I've seen people after transplants, like, you know, they need it so bad and they're perfectly fine after. And if this could be a way too to just give it to people that don't need it so bad and just need it. And that would help a lot. And I'll just take time to see what kind of longevity they can get out of it. But yeah, that's pretty cool beans. All right, and then our that's corny for this week. The pandemic brought a 17% drop in school meals. So a decline in the school food program. We know we've talked about that in the past, how a school food program was a way of um, kind of supplementing the egg, in, egg industry and having a place for excess food when it first started. So federal federal waivers that allowed schools to hand out grab-and-go meals to students and made meals free to all students uh, were powerful tools in helping blunt the impact of the pandemic on food insecurity for children. So although the number of school meals declined 17% in 2020, because of the waivers, 1.7 billion meals were served from March through May of 2020 that may have otherwise not been distributed according to the USDA. I think the bigger scary part here is just how much kids went hungry through that. You know, like some, there's some kids that I know there's a program in town here where they 
hand out meals on Friday nights for the weekend so yep. that kids have something to eat Saturday, Sunday, because there's kids out there that, you know, that that's don't what, eat. They, they, yeah, yeah. They, they just get their Monday through Friday meals at school. How, how much so, of it, too, was kids staying home from school because, like, quarantined or whatever? Well, like, but that's what was cool about this program, like Matt's saying, is they did make waivers, and at least they were go. getting kids' meals at home when right. they could. I mean, yeah. that is really good that that the system sort of did you know, change to try to get kids meals. So I know like in, credit for that. Like you said, it's down, but it would have been down way more had they not done like a lot in, of things. In Seymour, they had multiple drop-off sites. So you, you could go pick up and I don't, I don't know all the details, but I don't think, I think it was a no questions asked thing. So it was yep. like, you say how many kids you got. There was a, like a sign up. Um, I know like in green Bay schools, I have a brother, brother-in-law that uh, is a teacher there. And yeah, it was, you could get as many as you wanted. Like it wasn't really a, you just had to sign up ahead of time in in our area and in Green Bay. I don't even know if you had to sign up early. I think they just made a whole bunch and just kept handing them out. So, I, if you guys remember, we talked about uh, the impact school lunch was having on the milk market um, when we were talking about oh, this is a long time ago. But there was farms that were having to dump milk because we were short or we, they were so over overstocked on fluid milk. This is it right here. I mean, school lunch. Think how much between yep. fluid milk. I mean, every kid gets a milk. But look at the cheese that's in an average school lunch. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's insane. I mean, that that really affects it when you talk about going down seventy percent. That's pretty obvious where the problem can lie. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about our fantasy corn league and gave some updates on some tentative hand checks for yield. We'll see what the actual harvest numbers are once the harvest is complete in our spotlight we looked at a new bill to prevent the spread of cwd put through by the house a history minute we talked about dahlia the sheep who was the first cloned mammal back in 1996 cool beans was surgeons successfully testing pig kidney transplants in humans that's corny was pandemic drop in school meals So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.